1: You've come to the podcast that believes in preserving, protecting, and promoting the passion for bow hunting. Join us as we strive to be the voice of today's bow hunter. This is the Pope and Young Podcast.
2: Hello, everybody. This is Jason Roundsville with the Pope and Young Podcast. I'm joined today, as always, by Dylan Ray my co-host and today a very special guest we have Robbie Kroger from Blood Origins. He is the originator, he is the the dream behind Blood Origins and we're excited so we've we've partnered with him in the past and we're very excited to have him here today. Robbie, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Dylan. Much appreciate the the invite apologies for the technical difficulties, but we're together now.
2: (laughs) We are together better late than never. And uh, that's, we all know that I'm not, I'm no technological genius, but uh, fortunately there are a lot of people out there that are. So um, I know you have probably a lot of technological background on stuff. Give us a little background about you. I know you're in the, the biology field and yep. now you run a production company and and tell us, tell us about that.
3: Where'd you, where'd you get started? Well, let me correct you. I don't technically run a production company. Blood Origins is really a, a platform for telling the truth about what hunting is. Uh, we just so happen to hire the best production folks that we can uh, to gotcha. do the work that we do. Um, but yeah, a little bit about me, I'm a, I've got a PhD in aquatic biogeochemistry and wetland ecology. Um, I've worked as a professor in the wildlife fisheries department um, for various universities. Uh, I currently work as a chief scientist for a small consulting company. Uh, pretty much my day job consists of science strategy around restoration ecology uh, type situations. Um, and I do blood origins as a passion project on the side, essentially.
2: Excellent. And where, where did blood origins, how did it come about? Cause I, you and I have worked together. You did a project mm-hmm. for us at, at Pope and young. And mm-hmm. all I knew is, is several friends in the industry are like, you, you have to meet this guy. This is something that is, goes beyond it's, it's not a hunting video. It's, it's so much more than that. It's why, are you hunting? What is the background behind this? What is the draw, the drive? And so tell us about how Blood Origins came
3: about. Yeah, I appreciate that. And and yeah, you nailed it. That's the reason why Blood Origins exists is that, unfortunately, the hunting community, the hunting industry over the last 30 years has focused on one element, dare I say, 1% of what hunting actually is, and that's the kill. Um, And purposely so because they're catering to a hunting audience and trying to sell products, and it's a business when it comes to hunting. And so you can't fault them for that, but then you can't also fault us for the situation that we currently are in, in that the perception of who we are as hunters is all about killing. And so... The reason why Blood Origins started was essentially me as a nascent hunter came to only start hunting when I was 26 or 27 years old, when I first moved to the States. My background, my family has a steeped hunting heritage background. I just never got to hunt because I grew up in Johannesburg, South Africa of eight and a half million people. It's almost like being raised in Los Angeles or New York. you never really had an idea of what hunting is or hunting was, you didn't have a perspective on it. And so as I was trying to mature myself as a hunter, I started asking these questions about what does it actually mean to hunt? And I needed to communicate that meaning of why I hunted to my boys that at the time were five and four. And I wanted them to have the experience of being a hunter that I wasn't afforded, given the opportunities that we have as Americans to live in this, this great country. And I started looking and looked and looked and I couldn't find what I was looking for. So I decided to build it. And that's what Blood Origins became. So that's that's interesting that you grew up in South Africa
2: and did not have the hunting background. I didn't realize that until just right now.
3: Yeah didn't hunt at all i actually had two, my, technically i had two hunts for pigeons but that was it i didn't you know my grandfather and, and father grew up in the heyday of africa and just was incredible like the hunting that they had was incredible i just never got any of it because it was gone it was pretty much raked out of the landscape because of civil war and and poverty essentially so um yeah i i, I got exposed to hunting here i got exposed to this thing that my grandfather wrote so eloquently about, and I wanted to raise my boys in it. And so I just, I really wanted to, I wanted to be able to communicate to my boys, number one, why we were doing what we were doing. And two, I wanted them to have right out of the gate, this narrative and rhetoric about why they hunted. So for instance, we dropped a video two days ago on our Instagram about respect. So, one of the things that has been bothering me significantly—it happens every hunting season—and this hunting season is no different. You know, there's, there seems to be trends in the, amongst the hunting community of posting stupid stuff with the animals that we take selfies with white-tailed deer,s uh, biting the bills of a duck, shoving the bill of a duck in a shotgun choke. And it just shows disrespect to the animal. And so when I asked my son, I said, when we kill a white tailed deer, do we show respect to that deer? And I hadn't, I hadn't coached him. I hadn't, I hadn't told him what to say. He said, yes. And I said, why, why do you show respect to the animal? And he goes without batting an eyelid, you could see him think a little bit. And then without, without being prompted, he said, because it's a living thing was a living, breathing thing. And so that's what we're trying to do. That's what we're trying to just make people think, and that's what Blood Origins is about. It's making people think. The hunters think about the fact that you could lose hunting tomorrow, and you could be in the situation that I was in in South Africa, which has and happened. Two, There's places happened. that that's happened. Yes. Yep. And let's, if you're naive that it's not going to happen in the United States, then you need to get your head out your ass. Um and number two we want to convey the truth simply about hunting that we are not this perceived bunch of bloodlusting killers that hunting and hunters have heart are vulnerable are steeped in tradition that hunting has a major component not a component hunting has a major influence on conservation on wildlife populations on people, on economies, all the things that people forget about. So that's really what Blood Origins was built for, or well, and has become essentially.
2: Yeah, and you know, some of those perspectives, we have a tendency to see things from our view. I know I do. And it to me, I talked to somebody who who didn't grow up hunting, and I'm like, well, how, how did you not grow up hunting? I mean, what did you eat? You know, if if you didn't have deer and elk, well, I what did you eat? what did you live on? You know, you didn't have salmon growing up. I, I, it just doesn't, I don't understand people that don't have that outdoor heritage. And then coming from the opposite direction, there's people who don't understand that, you know, these are things that we look forward to all year, you know, going to deer camp with the family. That's one of my fondest memories from a child. Mm -hmm. And I look at that and, and I, I wouldn't trade that. I look at, at one of the very best memories I have from my, from a great childhood was I was at deer camp. So I got out of school for a week to go camping with my parents, both sets of grandparents, my aunt, uncle, and some family friends. And it was, it was like the greatest vacation on earth, you know, for me. And it, And then there's people who wouldn't understand that. They're like, oh, you weren't in a hotel? No, far from it. And it it just – I appreciate that the angles that you take because it it communicates a message that people can get that aren't in the hunting community. You can take somebody from Johannesburg or Los Angeles, don't know anything about it, and they watch your videos and they can get a feeling – of, of what more it's about than just, Oh wow. There's an, there's another, you know, don't get me wrong. I like watching the, you know, the hunting videos, but it's way more than that. And so I, I appreciate that it speaks to a broader audience than what a lot of our, our
1: communications are able to do. You know, Jason, and what you said, what you said about the meat, Jason, I think that's, that's one, that's been one of the best parts about the pandemic is people look and they say, wait, You know, when all the meat, when the meat shortage happened, they they look at hunters and they think, wait, you, you still are, you're eating steaks. You're eating tacos with, with ground meat. How are you doing that? Every day, every day, every day, every day. And I'm not worried about running out. I don't have to run to the grocery store. And, you know, there for a while, a pound of beef was at like $7. I'm like, I don't have to run to the grocery store. And at 6am before it sold out the next hour, I don't have to worry about it. And I think that's been one of the best parts about the pandemic is people saying, well, can I how do I get that I mean how do I mean how do I get a part be a part of that and I'm like, what anybody can it's actually it's actually relatively easy to be a part of it. It's not easy to harvest the meat, but it's easy to be a part of it, yeah, and it's
2: uh you look at the traditions and and things and and i it just always floors me that that folks don't have those that there are people who grew up in this world who who didn't you know think about hunting and want to hunt and and grow up around it so well, you're speaking to one of them. I know that's uh, that's that's great. Well, how how'd you? So obviously your dad and grandfather were very active in in hunting, and so mm-hmm. when you were in your 20s, how did you get started? When you came to the states, how did you? What got you into <laughs> it when you got here?
3: Uh, about a six foot five, two hundred and sixty pound redneck. Okay. Well. God bless rednecks. That's- <laughs> yeah, good Mississippi boy. And he said, do you want to uh, You want to hunt? And I said, yeah, that sounds good. So I went and did my hunter's education. And once I did that, he said, all right, let's go. And he gave me a lawn chair and he gave me a gun. And he sat me under a cedar tree and he said, whatever walks by, shoot it. <laughs> there you go. And, and did you get anything on that hunt? I actually did not. I did not get anything on that first hunt, but it wasn't shortly thereafter before I killed my first deer. Okay.
2: And uh, and what was your first deer?
3: Oh, just a, a doe, just a white-tailed okay. doe and was incredible. Yeah, that was everything I wanted. Yeah.
2: Okay. And that and that spawned the rest and and now you're making history. I was going to say the rest is history, but I think you're you're still in the process of making history.
3: Yeah, I think we're changing we're changing narratives and to your point earlier blood origins wasn't built for hunters blood origins was built for the non-hunting majority um, yeah it influences hunters sure but it wasn't built for hunters yeah but it's it's
2: it, to me just being in the industry for a long time and and knowing a lot of people it has a phenomenal, you know, Blood Origins has a phenomenal reputation in the hunting community. Um, have, have you gotten any resistance
3: from folks in the hunting community at all? You know, it's you, that's, you're like the third person to ask me that question in as many days. And I am grateful to answer it the same way in that we've had none. Um, because I think, I'll say, I, I answer it in two ways. Number one, There would be resistance against Blood Origins if Blood Origins was Robbie Kroger. I may just be, I'm just the guy pushing the Blood Origins stone up the mountain. And you don't actually know me. I've had people, I've been on podcasts before where people ask me at the beginning of the podcast, we're super embarrassed, but what's your name? And that's the most humbling thing to me because you're not supposed to know my name. You're not supposed to know me. You're supposed to recognize Blood Origins for what it is. And what it is, is is us. It's our community. So I think the resistance has not been there because it's not a project about self. Number two, the rhetoric and the narrative that we put across in Blood Origins is very amicable. It's very digestible. It's very non-confrontational. And because of that fact as well, we get very, very little pushback. And when we do get pushback... I see it as dialogue and I want dialogue. I want to promote dialogue. I feel like today's society, especially in the social media space, dialogue is seen as confrontational arguments versus two people discussing their opinions in an amicable way. And so when someone pushes back a little bit on us and we push back on them, nine out of 10 times that individual slides into my DMS and goes, Hey, I'm not trying to be an a-hole. I really love your work. And I said, you're not, I'm taking it how it is. I'm taking it as a conversation between the two of us. Yeah. We can have a discussion and not agree on
2: everything and still have a discussion about it. It doesn't have to be my way or the highway on every single point and I think a lot of America has forgotten that. You see that, you know, social oh, media. Not just America, the world. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very disappointing when I see people and they're like, "Oh, if if you, yeah, everybody has their opinions and their beliefs, and you know, we all think ours are right, but mm-hmm. I, just because somebody." views something differently or 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 maybe votes a different way doesn't mean that you don't have some common ground we're all human beings out there and and it's very disappointing when you see that where people just nope if if you're this then then i want nothing to do with you and i think that helps perpetuate the the divide between the hunters and and the non-hunters and you know it's you know, even even in my own world, if I tend to look at, I have a lot of friends all, all across the the country and, and, you know, even, even abroad. And, and if I look at them, you know, hunting is probably the fabric that's kept most of us together. The folks that I'm, I'm really close with are folks that I've tend, tended to either meet or perpetuate that relationship through hunting, either hunting with them, them hunting with me, or at least talking about it. And so, you know, it's a big part of who I am, but it's not that I'm not open to other people. So mm-hmm. I think it's great that you're crossing that bridge and and we needed somebody, the hunting community needed somebody to do that for us.
3: Well, I appreciate that.
2: Yeah. You know,
1: and that's, that's why I, I think that you know we've we've talked a little bit about this, Jason, on on an, another podcast, but the pride of being a hunter, and uh, that's part of what makes me so prideful of being a hunter, is the community in which we belong to. Um, you know, I ran into a guy he hunts the lease that literally borders my my lease, and uh, I've always seen a truck there, and I thought, man, we're gonna have a run in one day. It's gonna be ugly. Uh, you know, we're hunting the same deer, and uh, finally ran into him and nicest dude in the world and and we talk all the time now i mean every morning we're walking in i'm like hey man good luck you know and he says the same to me and uh just when when i when i realize this is the community i belong to it makes you swell with pride to be a bow hunter and to be a hunter in general but but uh that that community of hunters is just is something to be proud of and it's something that if if somebody from the outside looking in could just experience it, they would understand it. You know what I mean? Yeah.
2: And I, and that's hard. It's hard to get people into something. It's not like you can walk, go down to the golf course, rent a set of clubs and, and go hunting. I mean, it's,
1: it's a little more involved than that. Well, and, you know, uh, I, I, uh, I actually, I got to experience this firsthand because it was my wife, but um, I was going on a hunt um, out of state this year in Maine, and I couldn't find a cameraman. So I said, "Hey, babe, you want to go to Maine on a bear hunt?" And uh, she'd always wanted to see Maine and, and lighthouses and all that stuff. So she said, "Yeah." And the look on her face when we rolled into this camp um, was less than excited. You know, not 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 a five star lodge by any means um we would all think it was a nice place but you know in her mind she's thinking good lord there's old redneck men out drinking beer and you know she you could just tell she was like i don't want to spend five days here and i looked at her and i said i promise you that you'll think these people are your best friends by the time you leave and uh sure enough now she she connects on Facebook with them and, you know, she'll say, she'll say, Hey, so-and-so just commented on my post, happy anniversary, you know? And I'm like, See, I told you, but, but she got to experience that firsthand, um, that, that hunting community and that camaraderie between hunters and, and just the welcomeness and the open arms. And, and it's just something I wish we could get every non-hunter to experience.
2: Yeah. And and you mentioned something there that there is an openness. I mean, I, I have, I've literally been out in a, you know, in a duck line with, with a billionaire. And I've been out there with, with people on every aspect of the socioeconomic scale and, and people with a lot of experience and people on their very first hunt. And it's all okay. And I think hunters are some of the most inclusive people that I've ever been around because it's okay. If, if you know how, what you're doing, that's great. If you don't, Hey, we'll coach you along. Yeah. Uh, you better pull your weight, but but we'll, we'll coach you along. So,
1: and don't call until um, we give you permission.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you brought your call. That's cute. Leave it in the bag. Yeah. Don't take uh, it out. <laughs> yeah. So, so I actually had, I, I have to tell this story because I, I used to hunt ducks with a guy and his name was Bob here in Oregon. And Bob was a great guy and he had a lot of, a lot of permission that, that, would get us on some phenomenal areas to hunt but he could not call to save his life but he always brought us calls and there was one day we were in hunting the river out of the boat and i actually took one of his calls and i just flipped it right into the water had to be done so just didn't didn't need him <laughs> spooking my birds that day anyway well robbie tell us a little bit more what uh, what are some projects that you're in the middle of or just finished up or that you're
3: you're yeah. gearing up towards Man, we've got some cool projects. We, um, we're actually building, we're in the middle of building a soccer and netball complex in the Eastern Cape of South Africa right now. Uh, construction. i got some pictures of construction work today. They're laying the field. And the field is pretty cool in that we couldn't build a grass field in the middle of the Karoo because grass doesn't grow and they've got very, very little rainfall. So what they're making the field out of is a mixture of concrete and clay out of anthills. And these anthills are abandoned anthills, yeah. And so that's being laid right now, and the kids will be playing soccer on that field, on their brand-new soccer field in two weeks. Uh, And just amazing donors, amazing donations to get that funded and executed, and I'm flying a a camera crew out of Cape Town to – to storytell the community day of them opening the field for the first time. Wow. We've got a same such similar Eastern Cape. We've got an orphanage that we're feeding all of next year because of the COVID crisis of this year. couldn't send any hunters into this area. This orphanage and boarding school is typically fed by the venison that the hunters leave through their kills. Um, that is not available anymore, so we stepped up to the plate and have funded that for all of 2021, including sending a couple of kids to a much larger boarding school to get them out of the poverty circle. Again, tell that story of hunters helping communities. Right. Um, we have a kids' camp here in America, Raise Them Outdoors, that we've raised about 75% of the money for. Uh, the difference between Raise Them Outdoors and all other kid camps, hunting kid camps, is that Raise Them Outdoors forces a mentor or a parent to go with the kid on the hunting camp so that when they leave camp, the parent and the kid have the, the skills and the tools to continue beyond camp. You bet. Um, and then the other one, I've got a couple that have just popped up onto my radar. Uh, one out of Namibia. I've got a very, very cool project in Northern Queensland, Australia. um, which is all tied with feral pigs and sea turtles. Yep, you heard that correct, sea feral turtles. Feral pigs
2: and sea turtles. All right, I'm trying to think. Uh, let's see. In Oregon, you know, when you hear sea turtles, basically you, you hear about sea turtles, not that we have them in Oregon, but that you can't use plastic straws anymore to protect the sea turtles. So yeah, I can't so wait of it for this. That
0: we're,
3: we're, we're, we're using hunters to take out pigs that have learned to – raid sea turtle nests okay it's amazing can you yeah. what what kind of story is that right story of hunters saving the planet saving sea turtles
2: you're gonna blow some greenies minds with that one because they, they yep. just won't know how to react and i
1: can't <laughs> wait on. to see it oh yeah oh it's well, amazing it's-
2: you know, and you brought up a very good point and it's, it's, it's actually come up a couple of times. And then we keep talking about so many good things that I, I didn't mention it, but when you look at what hunters do, you know, if you look at the, you know, the national wildlife refuge system, which is huge, which was all funded by hunters dollars. If you look at the conservation groups, uh, you know, the, the, the private conservation groups out there, those are all funded with virtually all hunter dollars or a vast majority is, is from hunters. And across the world, the North American model of wildlife management is the one that that is kind of the standard by which a lot of people would do it that way if they could. And I don't think people in the non-hunting community realize that it's not like all these animals are just out there and have a place to roam they have a place to roam because hunters self-imposed taxes way back starting in the 30s so that we would have money to buy those places for the animals and it's there are a lot of things you know that's in the US is the the incredible role hunters play in conservation here and if you go abroad if you look at You know, in Africa, for example, talking to some folks there, the hunter dollars that come in, in some of these areas, it's, it's way more than just a hunter paying to go shoot, you know, a wildebeest. That Mm -hmm. money gets transferred out to the entire community. Not only Mm -hmm. the dollars, but like you said, the, the meat is going to good use, the, um, it's employing people to go do the tracking to go do the skinning to go do the meat processing to, to cook the meals so it's a it's a huge community boom and I, I think a lot of people don't realize they're like oh well you shouldn't do this you should you know you shouldn't hunt elephants but then they don't realize that the ramifications their entire villages are getting wiped out because that' they 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 depend on that for mm-hmm. the meat for the income mm-hmm. for the jobs and and I think sometimes it's viewed as a single oh it's it's an independent entity when it's really not it's just woven into the entire fabric of the the area that it happens to inhabit so
3: well the problem is Jason up until now nobody really has we've known that story the elephant story right We've seen on outdoor television, you know, I've seen countless shows that go on an elephant hunt. They talk about what you just said. You know, I'm helping the village. Yet we see a 30-minute production on an individual for 25 minutes hunting an elephant and for five minutes he talks about the village. Yeah. So no wonder... Nobody believes anybody. Why don't we do 30 minutes or 25 minutes on the village? And oh, the last five minutes, the hunter comes in. Now you're really showing a change. Now you're showing the impact. The problem is (laughs) the problem is the latter example doesn't sell guns, doesn't sell bullets, doesn't sell camo. The former does. Yeah.
2: Well, and that's where we need platforms like blood origins to tell the other side in a way that, that people will pay attention and, and open our eyes. And, and, you know, we're never going to change the entire hunting industry, but we need that voice because we need people to know why we do it. And it's, yep. it's critical
3: and hundred percent.
2: And if people don't think they can't shut hunting down, they're, they're just burying their head in the sand. There are examples of, of, places you can't go anymore and, and, and hunts that you cannot participate in. And, you know, that's why Pope and young is here. We are, we helped found bow hunting in America and mm-hmm. we're going to be here to help promote it. And we're going to be here to help protect it and make sure that we always have a place to go bow hunting. Make sure that we always have the opportunities and the seasons um, to, to get out there and enjoy the sport that we all love. So, um, you know, I, I think another thing that, that really hurts the hunting industry is the, uh, I saw this years ago in California is, is I was approached and, and it was, they were trying to shut down the, the bear hunting with hounds. Mm -hmm. And so then they went, they went to the, the bear hunters said, Hey, we need your help. So they went to the deer hunters and deer hunters. Oh, that's, That's not, doesn't really affect me, you know, and then they went to the duck hunters and the duck hunters said, well, well, they'd never take my dog when I'm duck hunting. And, and they went to everybody and everybody kind of left the bear hunters out on their own. And then next thing you know, you, you can't use dogs with bear for bears and Mm -hmm. they're just going to compartmentalize that and take, they're not going to come in and take it all at once, but they're just going to take a little piece. And every little piece, you lose the history, you lose the tradition, and it's um, it affects more than. You know, I talked to some hound hunters after that, and and they're like, "I've I've got dogs. These lines go back to my great grandfather, and now I I can't. You know why am I raising dogs that I can't go out in the field and use? And it was heartbreaking, you know, some of the ancillary things that that happen to these poor folks when it happens. So. I think it's critical as hunters that we all participate in that and, and take a stand and get a voice.
1: Robbie, I got a question for you as as somebody who grew up without hunting. Um, what, what would you say, uh, to somebody who's never had to experience that, uh, but doesn't even understand that there is danger of losing this, if that makes sense.
3: What do you say to someone who doesn't understand there's a danger of losing
1: it? Yes.
3: Um, yeah, it's a tough that's a tough question to answer. Um I think you've got to it it's I answer it like this. When you start talking about perception and, and and the and the rhetoric that we constantly use as hunters saying, Well, I can do what I want. It's a free country. I can do what I want. Yeah, you can. There's no doubt you can absolutely. But I come from a place where those things that I wanted to do were no longer there for me. I saw the erosion. I saw the death by a thousand cuts, dog hunting, bears taken away. Okay. What's the next thing they're going to go after? Yes. It's it's just, that's, it's just a knock on effect. It's not like they take one. They're not going to take one bite out of the apple and decide that that's enough it's going to be one bite and 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 look it's just we can talk about the thing that just hit the streets 3 weeks ago the most the most damaging thing for hunting and wildlife management in the US just happened 3 weeks ago the fact that wolves were going are going to be reintroduced to colorado and that was decided by, by public motors. opinion
2: that that was a loss for wildlife everywhere in the united states of america
3: they it have was taken, a loss for wildlife graduates, wildlife yeah, they
2: biologists. Have, they have taken the the management out of the hands of professionals who know what they're doing and how to do it. And they've given it to the people who have no clue. And it's it's the court of public opinion and it's scary. It's, you know pope and young has a very clear statement on that issue and we we put it out publicly uh, you know maybe perhaps even up to a year ago and and we are adamantly opposed to wildlife management being a public um voting issue that's not where it belongs that's not the people that have the correct information to make those decisions with. And so we believe the wildlife management needs to be done by the wildlife managers. 100%. That that was, that was disappointing to me because I've seen, you know, firsthand what happens when, when the balance is not there and, and people think, Oh, if we just go back to all that, Oh, if we'll just let it be wild and it will be exactly how it needs to be. The problem is it just doesn't happen. The apple apple cart has been upset, and you can't just re you you just can't put it back the way it used to be 150 years ago. It's just not mm-hmm. going to happen. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Now, do you have anything any projects regarding the wolf reintroduction? Is that on the radar?
3: No, there's not any of those on the radar. There, I do have a I do have a lion houndsman project on the radar. Okay. Um, And that project is going to be a documentary project, essentially showing the heart of a lion houndsman as it relates to his dogs. Dogs are a very emotive animal. You know, half the world's population loves dogs. Half the world's population likes cats. (laughs) So um, dogs elicit something in people. And what... The perception is is that, and and in, in in some cases it's true that these dogs are just tools when it comes to lion hunting, but for the majority, these dogs are a part of their family, are part of their lives, and are treated as such. And we want to tell that story. And so what we've done is we've gone and we've uh, recruited probably the the most reputable lion houndsman from arizona to montana and hopefully we'll get it funded here in the next three to four months and then film i would say hopefully the most epic documentary on lion houndsman in 21 to then put it on the film festival circuit in 22 not a hunting film festival circuit but a non-hunting film festival circuit like try and take it to Sundance and those kinds of places so that we can show our true heart to an audience that needs to see it. Yes.
2: Yeah. It's, it's a, you know, you talk about the houndsmen and these guys have, I mean, some of these hounds have a richer bloodline than, than probably any of my friends out there. It's, it's pretty amazing how much goes into that. And like you say, it's not just a dog or a tool. It's, it's part of the family. They know, the 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 little idiosyncrasies of each and every one of those dogs so
3: mm-hmm. so that's one of the projects on the horizon uh we got a rhino project that we're working on right now as well okay. um other than that uh obviously just got a bunch of really good episodes and really good narrative content coming um i don't know when this podcast will drop but we have a we have a non hunter journey essentially dropping early december maybe the middle 10th to the 15th of december it'll probably drop Um, and this was an african-american male who came to us out of nashville tennessee who was a non-hunter and he decided he wanted to become a hunter and we filmed his entire journey of going from non-hunter to hunter and it is it is incredibly powerful excellent and his episode, it was, it's almost a Blood Origins episode meets this this journey. And in his episode, he still got blood on his cheeks from his his first deer kill. Um, yeah, it's it's a great piece. Nice. I'll look forward to seeing that
2: one. So let's talk about talking about projects. Mm-hmm. Go through with us a little bit because I know last year you did a project with Pope and Young. We were really excited yep. about it. Um, yep. you know you, you came to a convention there in Omaha and and got to do some interviews right there at uh-huh. convention. D- talk a little bit about that for for some mm-hmm. of our listeners who maybe haven't seen that, in which case it's gonna be a treat because we're relaunching that entire program. So, so tell us a little bit about that.
3: Yeah, so we were lucky enough to come to convention and we filmed. She's, I think we filmed 26 people whilst we were at convention. It was a crazy amount of people. We were just pulling yeah. people left, right, and center right. off the floor. And it's like, you know, old stalwarts of Pope and Young to the youngsters of Pope and Young to women, men. You name it, we got the whole diversity of bow hunters uh, recorded and filmed exactly the same way. And and so what we wanted to do is the project that we did with Pope and Young was what I approached them with, what I approached you with was, you know, nobody really knows the heart of Pope and Young. And so there's obviously, and there has been some discussion about what that actually means. And so, it, with the creative discretion that Blood Origins has, when I delved into what I felt like the heart of Pope and Young is, at its core, it's the love of bow hunting. You have to love bow hunting to be a Pope and Young member. That it, that, notwithstanding anything else, that's what you have to be. And given the new generation of hunters coming onto the scene, this new millennial, new Gen Xs, they want to know that bow hunting is cool. They want to know what bow hunting actually is. And so really the project in the end, the film in the end, um, really did two things. Number one, it, it, it reached out to the people, to the person who has never bow hunted, and produced a, a very short little 6 minute film i think or 7 minute film and it sh- it it would at the end of that film that person would be like oh wow i think i want to start bow hunting I because want to it was try a pope that. and young yeah and because it was a pope and young production they're like well maybe i need to speak to these guys about how i start bow hunting number 2 it would be to the person who is already a bow hunter to see a piece of production like we pr- produced and go, oh, wow, I never knew Pope and Young does stuff like this. I didn't know Pope and Young was, this was, this was Pope and Young. Maybe I should check him out. I just thought Pope and Young was a a society, sorry, Pope and Young was a club with a bunch of old farts that sat around yeah. and toiled, told stories. And yeah. so that's and that's how I approached it, right? That's how I took it. And I was like, this is this was my, my this is my heart saying if Pope and Young wanted to enter into 2020, because we were going to release it this year if if COVID hadn't hit, if they were going to enter into 2020, 2021, 2022, with this new mindset of how do we grow the club, well. You have to make bow hunting something that people want to be a part of. And you need to make the Pope and Young Club. As you started this conversation by telling me, Pope and Young was the is the club that is and should be the heart of bow hunters across the U.S. and across the world. But let's just start with the U.S. And so that's what I try to do with you guys. And we've got some great content. We've got, sheesh, I think I've got like 50 snippets. And and our idea was, Jason, if you remember, it, leading up to the convention, I was going to drop a piece of content every single day that would have been a different person every single day for 24 days leading up to the convention. Absolutely. And then we had the film. So
2: Yes. Yes. I, this COVID killed a lot of great things this year. Not that it killed this project. We, the project is still very much alive. It just didn't have the rollout that originally was intended for, for stuff that was beyond, beyond a lot of our control. But um, we're, we're anxious to kind of relaunch that and, and make another splash so that people check that out. And mm-hmm. uh, We have, I know in Reno, our next convention is coming up in April here in Reno. And uh, we have a big theater plan on showing the the film to all of our attendees, and, and make sure everybody gets a chance to see it. So we're we're gonna do we're gonna do our part to make sure all of our folks get to see it. And I know you have plans to get folks outside of our our folks to see it as well. And it's as I viewed it, it was it was kind of one of those things where you're like, yeah, that's that's it. That's you know why I do it that's why I do what I do. And mm-hmm. that's the feeling that, that we need, that we need people to understand. And I, you know, I was a lifelong, but I've been bow hunting for 30 years and I didn't even realize till I got to Pope and young. I just always taken it for granted that, Oh, there's always been a bow season. And then I get here and I realize that, you know, Pope and young was partially founded just to, to go out and show the world that, Hey, this is a legitimate way to take, big game animals. Mm -hmm. And we were part of having bow seasons established in the US of A all across the country. And I look at it and I'm like, okay, um, you know, when you're talking to people, why would I be a member? Well, because if it wasn't for Pope and Young, there wouldn't be a bow season in, you know, Oregon. Didn't realize that. I've I've taken it for granted for years and years. Well, now I understand that, hey, they had to work hard to get this for me and Pope and young continues to work hard to, to keep those for us and make sure that, you know, bow hunters have a say out there when we're at the, you know, wildlife council meetings, we're the, we're the only bow hunting group there and people want to know our, our stand on things. And I got to tell you, it's pretty nice to be able to be singleness of purpose. If it's good for bow hunters, then Pope and Young supports it. If it's bad for bow hunters, then we don't. There's no secondary, oh, well, you know, how would it affect the salmon? That's not how we make our decisions. It's all about bow hunting. If it's good for bow hunters, we're for it. So it's, it's very refreshing. Not all organizations can, can view something in such a singular manner. And it's, it's pretty refreshing that we're able to do that. But uh, are you going to make it to convention this year or in April? We're going to try. We're going to okay. try. That's for sure. We'd love to have you. It's, it's shaping up to be a good one. It's, it's uh we're as of right now till Nevada tells us differently. We are full speed ahead. So we're excited about it. And frankly, we've got a little bit of a chip on our shoulder since they shut us down in Virginia. So we had a lot, <laughs> a lot of good things, man. We had a lot of good things planned there that just didn't come to fruition. And, and, uh, I that I may never get over that with the, with as hard as as we worked on that Virginia convention. And and, I, you know, the Trophy Tower especially is something that it was mm-hmm. the greatest, the single greatest display of archery taken big game animals ever assembled in the world that was never assembled. They were they were crated up. They were shipped across the country they were in Virginia waiting to be put together and displayed on that mountain. And then right before that happened, we, we had to cancel it. So I I don't know if I'll ever live that one down or if I'll ever get over that, that one's, that one's going to haunt me for a while. (laughs) But uh, well, Robbie, um, one of the things that we, uh, we ask all of our guests is when you're out hunting, what is one thing kind of a non-traditional item that you have with you on every hunt? What's something that you're taking with you?
3: Well, you know, I'm not like probably most of your guests in terms of, like, I haven't been hunting for 30 years. So um, I've only been hunting for, gosh, 10 years or whatnot. Um, I, I don't know if I have one, you know, because I just don't yeah. – I don't have that thing that I take with me because I'm I'm still trying to figure out what I need to take. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, in that case you really need to listen to some of our podcasts cuz we all of our guests have have a uh, they they drop some good stuff on us. In fact, I've actually I will do that. Thrown, yeah, thrown a couple of things in my pack that have come up. So, and uh what would you like to say to folks listening? How do we find blood origins out there? What's the best way to to find you guys.
3: Well, I'll say this, Blood Origins, just type Blood Origins into anything, into Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Google. Pops right up. uh, YouTube, pops right up. Um, Okay. uh, We've done a great job in trying to, you know, make it easy for people to find us. Um, But I do want to say one thing, and I do want to compliment you, Jason. Um, Pope and Young, since the convention that I attended in Omaha, has, has come leaps and bounds. And all I have to do is look at your Instagram feed because at the time that I was creating content for you, I don't think your Instagram feed was more than 9,000 people and you're close to 24,000 people today. And so you are doing a yeoman's effort in putting everything together and starting to change Pope and Young's narrative change Pope and Young's voice. And that has been needed for quite some time. Well,
2: it's, you know, it's a team effort and uh, Robbie, thank you for noticing. Uh, we've had a lot of people put effort in there and, and our board of directors, they, they want to be, they, they see Pope and Young as the organization or bow hunters, you know, we want to be the voice of today's bow hunter. We want to embrace the history. We want to, We want to embrace the tradition. We obviously we're the record book guys, but we want to be the voice for today's bow hunter. And they are taking steps to ensure that that's who we're going to be next month, next year, and twenty years from now. So that's, that's thank you. Thank you for noticing that. We we appreciate it and. Uh, uh as always great to work with you um th- this whole project was was very eye opening for me i'd never been exposed to anything like it and uh, and just the uh the feedback that we've gotten e- even amongst the club has been you know has created dialogue internally for us you know hey what about this what about that is that who we are is that not who we are and so it's been a very good tool for us as well so um I appreciate you taking some time today to be on our show and, uh, uh, always great to work with you and I look forward to continue that in the future. Thank you, Jason. Much appreciate right. it. Thanks so much, Robbie.